Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and to look at me, you'd think I was just responsible and probably a good babysitter, but you wouldn't know I am a really intense Star Wars fan. So that's unexpected. I'm Caitlin, and something unexpected about me is I don't know what I'm a very boring person. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing ever surprises anybody about me. And so maybe that's the most unexpected thing is there's just nothing under the surface. Your dark ballroom past where you were doing like (laughs) the full splits in a sequin dress. That was pretty cool. Just saying. That's unexpected. Okay, okay, yes. I used to be a competitive ballroom dancer. That is weird. I will admit that. It's awesome. But anybody who hangs out with me in person knows that I did that because I tend to be with my husband who I dance next to all the time because it's fun. So you guys just haven't been around me when I've been around my husband. So it's it's your fault, not mine. Sorry. (laughs) I'm Kristen, and I have broken a girl's arm. It was not my fault. As long as it's by accident, it's cool, right? Well, it wasn't by – it was by her – it wasn't by accident. <laughs> I don't like it, but sometimes it's necessary. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to say that I, I'm a spy and that's what happened. Okay, well, I'm Cameron. And while this isn't surprising to anyone who knows me personally, because sometimes I won't shut up, about, shut up about it, I do own eight chickens and they are fabulous and hilarious. It's true. We love our chicken diaries that we get. Yes, we do. <laughs> So now that we've talked about um, the plot twists in our personal character arcs, we're actually going to transition to our real topic, which is how to foreshadow plot twists, which is, I mean, I'm sure you all agree, probably the most important part of a plot twist. One of the most important parts. So what makes a good plot twist? So I thought of a very stupid little formula, but the way that I think about it is if you want a plot twist, you have to have a secret. You have to somehow let your audience in on the fact that there is a secret that you don't know. So a question that they have, or maybe sometimes a character will outright say they have a secret. And then the third thing is that at some point you have to reveal the secret and have it not be the thing the reader was expecting. I think. I mean, maybe, I, oh, go ahead. I say maybe maybe another way to encapsulate some of that. Um, I'm gonna steal from Brandon Sanderson, who was borrowing from Firefly in that all the best plot twists feel surprising, but also inevitable at the same time. You want it to be the kind of thing where, oh, legitimately did not see that coming. But the more you think about it, like, oh, I really should have seen that coming, which Mm -hmm. is a really difficult balance to strike. But I think when it's hit well, it's enormously satisfying. I think that part of the key there is why it is that that wasn't the conclusion you jumped to. A really good plot twist happens because you and the character either don't have a key piece of information, I think, or because your character is biased in a certain direction and so they're not looking in the right direction, if that makes sense. So they assume something about the people around them, the situation around them, that makes them jump to a certain conclusion, which by def- like default makes the reader jump to a certain conclusion, which is wrong. Yeah, it's like a classic magic trick misdirection. Yeah. They're too busy looking over here and they don't see what you're doing with the other hand. Right. So I feel like there are plot twists that blindside you, and the fun part is that they are blindsiding you, and then there are plot twists 
that don't blindside you. You're waiting for them, but they surprise you anyway. Mm -hmm. Is that not true? What do you guys think? Yes, I completely agree, Caitlin, that sometimes there are plot twists that blindside you and that's the joy of them and that other times the joy is that you expect them and that they're different than what you expected. I mean, I always go back to, what is it, 10 Cloverfield Lane, right? That's a blindsiding mm -hmm. one if you have not seen the first movie and you are not expecting for the genre to shift suddenly. But it's still a really fun plot twist, whereas, I don't know, like the thief you're you're sort of expecting something but when it happens personally as a reader I had no ability to put together what it is or like what is being hidden from me but it makes the reread more fun and that's part of the potential and the enjoyment of that sort of plot twist for me that's a really good point I think I definitely agree um for me a good plot twist is when I'm tricked but I don't I feel like it's my fault that I got tricked I hit myself on the head. I'm like, oh, yeah, I could totally see that in hindsight. Um, but at the time, the author was so skilled in walking that line between just enough information and not too much that I really, like you said, didn't have a chance to put it together. But then I feel like I could have. Mm -hmm. I had like a list of different kinds of plot twists. I don't know if that's relevant. So you guys can stop me if you don't feel like talking about this. But I feel like plot twists all kind of fall into a couple of different categories. Like there's the character... This character isn't who I thought they were, said in a very angsty voice, because usually it's a teen girl <laughs> saying, you're not who I thought you were. Not really. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, like, Shatter Me, where we have, like, well, I'm going to spoil so many books. You guys, I'm really sorry, but we're going to spoil <laughs> everything I, we're talking about. <laughs> we can stick with, uh, like, Harry Potter, right? Snape, that reveal is a, you're not who I thought, I think. Sure. Well, but then also Harry Potter 3, where we have the opposite direction, where Sirius Black is not the bad guy. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, or Shadow and Bone, where we have the bad guy being somebody we didn't expect. Or Red Queen, the bad guy Did is someone expect, we didn't expect. Though, because I, like, okay, I'm just saying, the supposed to be I things that people coming. don't guess. Okay, yes, I know. Some plot twists are easier for some people to figure out than other ones. Um, <laughs> One of Us is Lying has one like that. Divergent has one like that. Um, there's also like the plot. The situation is different than I thought. That's where you get into like, well, I don't want to spoil everything. Skyward has something like that. 1984 has one kind of like that where, I mean, if we, or Brave New World. I mean, we can spoil old stuff. So yeah. like the ask and the answer, right? Uh, that has a massive plot twist at the middle of the second book that totally changes the game. And a more recent one is The Midnight Lie by my favorite author, Marie Bukowski, <laughs> always. Um, and it's very funny because I think most of what we've just listed are dystopias of different genres. So, like, dystopias are great for the situation is different than I thought. <laughs> because that's like what dystopia is. It's like, this is bad. And then you're like, nope, it's worse. It's yeah, exactly. Worse than <laughs> Got pun. So with all these yes, different or, kinds, uh, oh sorry, go ahead. Well, really quick, um, We Were Liars is a really good one where we're like the situation, I don't know if you guys have read it, it is an older one where you have an unreliable narrator who at the, by the end of the book you realize that the situation is not either what the, the character thought or what anybody who was reading it thought. So if you want to read some good plot twists in that area. There's also um, everyone around me had a different plan than I thought, like Mistborn or The Cruel Prince. The plot twist is not pulled on the main character in that one, mm -hmm. but... Or like the, oh, wait, we didn't get – or the um, the heist one where 
the reader is tricked. That's a blind side where we think we know what's going on, but then actually yeah. something else is. And then I thought also of um, when the character has knowledge that we don't know they have. So it's like a, you knew all along, or why didn't you say something? So often that's a much smaller sort of twist, but for me, those always hit really well. So like, spoiler alert for the Raven King, please don't hate me. That's been out for a while, but like <laughs> in the last book, when you find out that Gansey's known all along that he was going to die, or like in The Walking Dead, which has also been out for a very long time, um, Rick Grimes knowing that everybody's infected and not choosing to say anything about it. That they're very small twists, but they were. Thanks bad. a lot, Kristen. I haven't watched The Walking Dead. You're not planning <laughs> on it. You zombies. No, you're right. Zombie That's author. True. <laughs> <laughs> so with all these different kinds of plot twists, um, where should they go in a story arc? Is there a prime spot for a plot twist to go? I mean, I would say they usually come past the midpoint. They're usually around the climax. I think you, I don't know if there's necessarily like a rule about where they go, but I think you have to have the audience have enough time to sit with the, the thought and like what they're supposed to believe that they feel pretty confident in what they think before you snatch that away from them. So usually that just tends to be after a halfway through. I think they usually tend to be rising action. It's like a, a yes, but or no and situation where we're like, here's what I thought was happening. We're right near this climactic, awful thing that's about to happen. And also I didn't have enough information slash the people around me are jerks. Like, you know, it, it makes it worse and it turns it into a, a climax where we are slightly out of control, I guess. Um, I think that's not true of all plot twists because you can have little plot twists happen anywhere. But if you're talking about your big entire chain, like big change in a book, then that one's usually, I would say, right before the climax. Because usually um, plot twists don't resolve the climax unless it's like the heist version where the trick is being pulled on the reader and not on the character in the book. So where should the foreshadowing go? Oh, Cameron wants to say something. So I was going to throw in and I'm interested to talk about this a little bit because I don't know how sure about it I am. It might depend on on, on the work specifically, but like I feel like it, for some kinds of plot twists, especially if like 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 the experience of this particular book is going to be defined by a really large plot twist at the end, especially if the plot twist is like genre shifting, that having mm -hmm. small plot twists, like maybe like scene twists really early on in the book so that the reader knows what they're getting into could be a helpful tool so that when the big reveal happens, you have less people who are like, wait, what? No, this isn't what I stayed here for. You know, you know, you know what I mean? Well, it didn't work on Kristen because I mean, in 10 Cloverfield Lane, that movie, sorry, we're spoiling this to death, guys. It's we already so have many times yeah. on this podcast. Um, there are so many plot tests because I mean, when she gets down there, she, okay, premise here she gets into a car accident and wakes up locked to a wall in a bunker and the scary dude comes in who with the key to the thing locking her to the wall says oh well there was an attack i brought you down here to save you and so but the twist of the plot is that sometimes she believes him because it's obvious that is what happens mm -hmm. and sometimes she doesn't believe him because of other stuff she finds out and so we're never really quite sure whether there was an attack or if there wasn't an attack. And all of those plot twists didn't quite gear Kristen up for the ending. Okay, in my defense, <laughs> there was an attack means, like, a nuclear bomb or, like, 
I don't know. I, I just don't think massive kaiju falling from wherever they fall. You, you know, like, I don't know. I wasn't primed for that <laughs> specifically. But we've already gone over the fact that I'm not always a very careful viewer of media. <laughs> well, and also, I mean, I think it's fine that you didn't know that. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it was a pretty significant, like, oh. Well, I mean, and also that movie doesn't really explain because there are other times when we see something actively happening outside mm-hmm. that is not explained by aliens it is explained by other totally different things and so when you get out to the end and you're like oh aliens you're like but what about all those other things like was that the aliens i don't know that's actually that's actually a good transition point um how should you put in foreshadowing or where should your foreshadowing go so that your readers when they come to the plot twist they don't hate you well so i I am thinking currently about The Haunting of Hill House because it's spooky season and Haunting of Bly Manor comes out really soon. But I think The Haunting of Hill House, I don't even know if you can really call it a plot twist or foreshadowing, but because of the way they play with time, you have your answers to your questions presented as the questions like throughout. I don't know a better way to say that, but I think there's a part where one of the characters is sort of just, she says like, she sprinkled through their lives like confetti. And I feel like foreshadowing needs to do that a little bit. It needs to be something that's, I don't want to say ubiquitous, but that you come across a lot of times. Because if you only mention something once, no reader is going to remember it. It's not going to stick with you unless you're like obscenely uh, a close reader. But most readers aren't that way. So you need to be able to be putting in your hints at pretty regular intervals. So... Uh, the readers aren't blindsided unless that's what you're going for. Absolutely. I think that those that foreshadowing needs to happen. I mean, there's that rule of three that doesn't have to do with funny sentences, the one where you have to mention something at least three times before a reader is going to remember it. Um, I also think that foreshadowing, like we were talking about before, it helps a whole lot if your character or if the character you're writing either has an explanation that they think fits the bill of what is happening, because then you can sprinkle in whatever you want and they'll be like, look, see, this thing is happening. Or, I mean, you could go too far, of course. Or if you have a character who's consistently asking the same question, I mean, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I, I'd like to note here that it's important to remember that most foreshadowing doesn't get put in until the second draft or even later, maybe. So if you're doing your first draft, don't worry about being a genius foreshadower now until you have your plot twist set in stone, you know what you want it to be, and then you can go back in the draft and sprinkle like confetti the little foreshadowing bits throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then your readers will think you're a genius. <laughs> so how much foreshadowing is too much foreshadowing? My answer to how much foreshadowing is too much foreshadowing is you have alpha readers read through your thing and then ask them, is this too much foreshadowing? Yeah. (laughs) And then you go from there. It's true. I mean, I would say beta readers myself because my alpha readers are people who don't read the whole manuscript all the way front to back. Um, And so foreshadowing ends up getting put in later. And so they're blindsided by everything. You guys are some of my alpha readers. And so you're always like, wait, are you sure? And I'm like, yes, I promise I edited it in. And then if I haven't done it, I'll just pretend that I have edited it in and then I go put it in after you read it. So, 
But I think that if you have beta readers go through your manuscript and then you take a poll and figure out how many people guessed the twist beforehand and how many people were completely blindsided by the twist and how many people like figured it out the page before like you're supposed to. And based on like percentages, you can decide how much (laughs) is supposed to go in there because there's always going to be somebody who guesses it. Thanks very much, Kristen, for last week's read (laughs) before they're supposed to. And then there are people who aren't paying attention at all. And when they get there, they're like, what's going on? So you have to like move those outliers outside <laughs> and then take a, an average and then um, adapt as needed. Yeah. And if you're, if you're having trouble, you find out your beta readers are always guessing your um, plot twist or they never are. Um, it can be helpful to do what Caitlin said and kind of look at the ratio of um, how much foreshadowing to how much main plot. So Caitlin mentioned putting in a distraction or another solution that lines up with all the foreshadowing points. So readers have a place to go with that um, while the foreshadowing just kind of hides along underneath. So that could be something useful as well. Mm -hmm. Should we talk maybe about like what things should be plot twists and like what shouldn't? I just, ever since uh, Dong Wan came on our show, all I think about is like his just tell the readers your thing if it will create tension. So are there times when like a plot twist just for a plot twist sake is not a thing we want? Like, I'm curious to see what you think. Is it okay if a plot twist is just there to surprise people? Cameron looks as if he wants to say something. Well, I was thinking in a slightly different direction when you started talking and that I, I'm trying to remember who it was. I remember seeing a conversation about how like some things shouldn't be plot twists because it implies that certain kinds of information about people are worthy of being plot twists. So like orientation or gender identity shouldn't be a plot twist because absolutely that's not the kind of thing that should be a surprise. (laughs) Um, Or it's not like fiction worthy. Everyone's shouting out loud going, what? Like it's just part of somebody. Yeah. Um, But more what you were talking about is kind of like, uh, like, yeah. I don't want to spoil your released book. That would be a bad move. So I'm trying to think of a different example. <laughs> That's a good plan. Um, <laughs> but the general, the general setup, right, is that you can have, like, you have a dinner party going on and there's a bomb under the table. If you tell the audience there's a bomb under the table at the start of the dinner party, there's tension the whole way through. Whereas if you leave it until the end, there's just a moment of surprise and then nothing. Um... So yeah, I, I think a lot of it will come down to how you think you can manipulate the plot on the page to can you get more drama with the secret out or more drama with the secret in? I think that as soon as you're using a plot twist to cause drama, you're probably in a bad spot anyway because questions – I don't think questions that – well, I mean, there are probably some instances where I'm I'm not right, but I feel like a lot of times people or, or newer writers try to use lack of information to propel a story forward mm-hmm. where usually the inform- – like Dong Won Song said, the information itself would cause quite a bit more tension than withholding it. And I think plot twists are the same way where if you're – if your um, reader is constantly thinking there's going to be a plot twist, there's going to be a plot twist, I see this big hole, how are they going to fill it? That's a lot less tense than getting into the situation and being like, oh, oh, this is way different than I thought it was, you know? 
So, so yeah. Counter example. So I was just finished um, rereading Way of Kings. So spoilers for Way of Kings. But the pl- a large plot of the Dalinar plot in Way of Kings doesn't happen if he realizes up front that the visions he's getting are a recording instead of an active communication. Well, there's absolutely. A, but that, so there's a, that there's whole... A, but there's a reveal, Sorry, so there's a plot twist. Oh, he's been talking to an answering machine this entire time. And if you if you remove that, the plot of the book doesn't happen. Sure. So the plot twist... However, I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about, actually. We have a lot of information about what Delinar thinks is happening and what the reader thinks is happening. And there isn't a big question about what's happening. The questions are all like... What is it that he's supposed to be doing with this information? It completely changed the course of his life. He's changed himself in order to be in line with these things and to talk with the God who is talking to him. But then when we find out that's not what's happening, that changes everything for us. But it's not like we spent the whole time wondering what's going on. Yeah, I think there's a, a big difference between a revelation and a plot twist. Revelations can be plot twists, but most revelations aren't plot twists. And so um, in order to prevent that hole from forming... Um, and making your plot twist a wash. We need to have constant information coming to us as the readers. We need to have revelations building up. And then a plot twist can come and subvert our expectations from the revelations we did have. But we do have to be getting information from the very beginning all the way up to the plot twist, which I think is why why that worked so well for Brandon. He had, we were getting so much information. There wasn't that, that hole of, oh, nothing's going to happen. Plot twist, something's happening. Mm-hmm. Well, and also it seems like if you keep too much of your plot quiet, like if you're trying to do a bunch of plot twists at the end where we're like, we didn't know anything, not about the character, not about the plot itself, not about this, not about that, then then it's really hard to process all of those things <laughs> at the very end too. So well, you have to pick and choose. So def- definitely Sorry, an ahead, addendum Jimmy. off of that. You don't want to keep your stakes secret. Good point. Right. Like I think I was just going to – I think this is a thing we see sometimes like a lot of submissions that we'll do here on the show where a lot of times the author chooses to keep the stakes as kind of like a reveal for the end of the first 10 pages. And it's like, no, you're much better off just giving us the stakes in the first paragraph if you can. Yeah. Well, and I think this goes back to what Kristen was saying after I completely derailed this conversation, probably (laughs) where she was saying (laughs) what should or shouldn't be a plot twist And I think that if you look at the information that you are holding back and think, like Kristen said, is this going to make it more tense if we know or less tense if we don't know? I mean, that's obviously should reveal any kind of information that is going to up the stakes for the characters that you're writing. So So we are out of time for this portion of the podcast. Did anybody have any quick 10-second final thoughts? All right. Awesome. We'll go ahead and move on to the next portion of the podcast then, where we critique a submission from the audience. We try to keep these critiques non-prescriptive, but if you'd like to check out the text of this submission for yourself, you can view it along with all of our notes on our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can also find our submission guidelines there. So send yours in. Maybe we'll pick you. A summary of the submission. A girl with the power to photosynthesize and change the density of her body is on the run from an evil regime. What are some things we liked? All right. So I think I think we were both going to say the same thing, but we really like the, the atmosphere the whole way through. There's a real feel, feeling of kind of like being up in the Appalachian Mountains. And it's, Appalachian. It's, it's very Appalachian. 
and it's just oh. really immersive. Appellation. <laughs> regardless of how it's pronounced, <laughs> it felt like you were there. Apparently, not to the point where it imparted pronunciation guides, but aside from that, it was very good. You can say it both ways, but if you're saying it right, it's Appalachian. But I really, <laughs> yeah, I loved that too. There were some really beautiful, just descriptions. It it felt like the East Coast. One I thought was um, particularly nice is when it describes the turning leaves like a wildfire frozen in place. I thought that was lovely. I like that one too. This magic system is super cool. Um, I like how she's considering melting through trees while she's running and how she absorbs the sunlight. It was um, different enough from kind of the typical, I guess, fire power type superhero that it really drew me in. There's a really nice moment where she's sitting on her roof, and in order to get away from her mentor, she she drops through straight to the first floor. I thought mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. I thought the there there's there's some thought here on, you know, I have the ability to phase through solid objects, and it's not just like a gimmick. It's like no, you can phase through objects. So I'm gonna you know I'm gonna phase through the spider web rather than running through it, or you know like Kaylin was saying, I'm gonna drop through the floor so I can get out of the house faster. And I really mm-hmm. love that she like actually photosynthesizes like she's solar powered (laughs) i just think that it raises a lot of interesting situations that i could see her ending up in so i like the questions that makes me ask yeah the whole um sanderson law where magic system is much more the it's the the drawbacks or the the flaws the places where you can't do magic that make it more interesting than the magic itself and i feel like this is setting it up for some pretty cool ones What are some things that might need a second look? Um, Um, Oh, before we move on, I just want to say I liked Cliff. He's funny. (laughs) So Sorry, (laughs) continue. So I think there are a lot of really fun details in this, but I think uh, since we were just talking about stakes, I think this is one where I don't really have a solid grasp on what's at risk. Like we know that Taylor was experimented on by a bad group and we know that they had her, but we don't really know what they were hoping to gain from the experimentation or who exactly Cliff is to have taken an interest in her, what he was doing there to rescue her. And obviously I don't think all of these answers need to be in the first 10 pages, but I wish I had a better idea of like what actually happens to her if the liberatory, maybe if they, if they get her back, like, presumably pain but why i just had a lot of questions about that well and going along with that a little bit i'm surprised by their situation in life because i'm and this has to go with this goes along with stakes and like how serious the situation they're in is like they they live in a house with chickens and they're on the run quote unquote but like she seems pretty settled in and like she's hanging out in the forest and Like, nothing is really coming to get her right now. And so I'm not really sure exactly how dangerous it is for her, other than she needs to hide out in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains. I hope I said that correctly after being instructed twice by Kristen. Um, So, like, I I just am really not sure how big of a... in, In this chapter itself, she sees a fire start... And there's a child right next to it. And in order to save the child, she kind of like gives herself away. She goes down and she uses her powers to save the child's dad who's stuck in the in the barn. 
And um, I'm not sure how big of an overstep or, or how bad this is because I, I don't know if they can like sense her powers and come find her or if it's just like maybe this guy will be like, hey, this girl saved me and they'll hear about it out in the middle of nowhere, you know? I don't know how much people around them know about her. Like, is it normal for people to have powers like this? Is she the only one? I think someone mentioned that. Um, or are these people on TV all the time and they're like, demons, evil, because they blow things up, you know? Like, I, I really needed a little bit more grounding. I loved the physical grounding in the mountains themselves, but I wasn't sure what world we were in. The guy who she saves sits up and says, demon, when he sees her. And I'm like, so are we in medieval? We believe in magic. This person saved me, but I'm scared of her. Therefore, she's a demon land. Or are we in a place where demon has a new meeting? And well, I, don't I had know. the same question on that because if someone were to save me from a place where I was dying of like a burning building and I saw them walk through flames, I would not think demon because in my mind, demons don't save people. I would have been like superhero and would have had a very different reaction. So that raised a lot of questions for me. And I want to go back to the chickens thing just because. Mm -hmm. <laughs> If they're on the run for every two months, I the chickens mentioned was really nice to give like a sense of um, maybe like a domestic sort of feel. But if they're supposed to be on the run and find a new location every two months, do they take the chickens with them? Are they just going to abandon the chickens? With, like, like this is very with, important. The stakes involved the in the story were really, whether the chickens survive. Like, I'm really concerned about these chickens. <laughs> I am too. I mean, like, if they are moving around, like, how did they get the chickens? Yeah. I, and do they have little chicken cages that they carry, like, under their arms when they go? I mean, oh I can God, understand why carrier. you'd want them. You yeah. know, Cameron, you fostered a real chicken love in this writing group. <laughs> actually not super worried about the chickens. There's a few different. I mean, they could have they could have just, like, bought some fully grown hens. They could be planning to eat them when they're planning on moving. They could have just been at the property and they're squatting here. I don't I don't feel like the chickens are super important in the grand scheme of the scene. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> okay. On a sort of different note, uh, there's a part where Taylor, we find out Taylor's particular magic has a title and she's a magic one. And there's a part in the narration that it sort of reveals that like, there could be multiple magic ones in, within a family because it mentions that no one else in Taylor's family is. So it seems like a thing that could be possible. But that really surprised me because this sort of sense that we have about Taylor's abilities is that she's like one of a kind. She is special. She is a chosen one. And magic one being capital M, capital O, uh, made it feel more unique than like like only one person could have it than I think I was supposed to feel. So that might be something worth looking at. We're about out of time. Does anybody have any final notes? I actually think Cameron's note's kind of important. Yeah, so I want to say, I don't want to take away from anything that's in the positive section. It was really immersive and the magic was really cool. And I was interested to see where it was going. But part of, there's a niggling little issue with some of that interest where... This submission hits a lot of the really stereotypical tropes for a magic person on the run from an evil organization, which saying that out loud, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but it's true. There's a lot of books about a magical person on the run from an evil organization, and we kind of hit all of them here. We got the, my powers are a curse. We got the, you know, can't stay in one place for too long. 
And then the really the kicker is the I have to lie low so I can stay safe. Oh, but but this person's going to die and I'm going to reveal myself by saving them. It's really that last one that's I've seen over and over and over and over. So it's not a it's not a death sentence by by any means, but at the end of this submission I found myself wondering what about this story is going to be different than, you know, the dozen others I've read that start the same way. I have to agree with that because I was reading it and I thought, this is cool, but I feel like I've read this. I feel like I've read this a lot of times. And I think if you're trying to stand out from the slush pile, you have to really put all of the things that are super different about your story right on display at the beginning so it doesn't feel like every single other story that an agent has read, especially because agents read even all of the the ones that are unpublished that hit their submission boxes. So um, it's just something to look at. Really quick, check for sentence variation, um, and then also check for doubling up on details, like um, details that you give in narration and then also in dialogue. It's just a quick thing to go check through to make sure you're not giving us details twice. All right, awesome. Uh, to this author, thank you for submitting. I know we all really enjoyed reading your work. Our next guest will be Amparo Ortiz, debut author of The Blaze Wrath Games. Um, quick synopsis in this book. It's How to Train Your Dragon Meets Quidditch Through the Ages, set in an alternate contemporary world in which dragons and their riders compete in an international sports tournament. So very exciting. If you'd like a critique from Empire, get us your work by October 15th. Please check out our new Patreon page. It takes a whole team of creatives to do the show, and we'd love to do more, slash make the show better than it already is, and patrons help us do that. There's bonus content like hot seat critiques and a writing group you can be part of where you can get critiques from at least one of one of us podcasters once a month. Thank you to our intern, Lindsay Owens, the social media wonder. And if you'd like to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. For Lit Service, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>